The first reading is taken from John chapter 4, verses 23 to 24. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. Second reading is from Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Thank you, Hope. I'm raising the bar a bit tonight. They usually have water, so I've gone for uh, Americano. So, yeah, so uh, thank you, uh, thank you. Yeah, good evening. It's great to see you all. Um, and yeah, um, it's great that we can all be here. The band has pretty much sung the, uh, sung the message already, so uh, I might just sit down. No, no, no. Um, uh, could Joe, you're a bit preoccupied, James, so maybe Andy, can you bring on the, um, the intriguing prop? <laughs> just creating a little bit of intrigue, especially for those uh, who might be listening on podcast. It's actually lighter than it's making it, always doing it solo. It's impressive. It does have wheels. There we go. There we go. They're listening on, don't break it. They're listening on podcast. They are very intrigued. And that's the purpose. Uh, so mo- many of you will know who I am. Some of you may know my face, but uh, not my name. And some of you may be thinking, Who is that guy with weird facial hair and what is he doing on the stage? Well, my name is Andrew. I'm part of the leadership here at Fullwood. Um, I'm very involved as well with the gatherings team, which sort of look after our Sunday gatherings and with the worship. You might have seen me playing the guitar or on the tech as well. Um, So that's me. I'm married to my beautiful wife, Jen. Uh, Was Parkinson. It's great to be married into the, the Parkinson family. They're a family that run deep in the history of this church. I mean, a few months ago, I think we had that wonderful video from, we call her Ma, that's Queen Bee of the Parkinson family, um, who was a founding member here at Fullwood, so it's great to be married into that heritage. Uh, and we've also got our first baby on the way. Um, yeah, thank you. That's yeah, 23rd of Feb, so any point now. In fact, if you get tired of hearing the sound of my voice at any point tonight, you could pray the baby comes early. Um, but no, please no, because <laughs> there's actually quite a long list of jobs I still need to do, and the house is still upside down. So uh, yeah, so this is my first time in this capacity at Fullwood, um, and you're probably thinking, um, he must be nervous. Well, yes, but not for the reason you might think. I mean, I'm actually quite used to being in front of people. As a musician, I've played in front of hundreds, occasionally over thousands of people many times. So actually being in front of you, and you are much kinder looking than most of the crowds I've been up against. So uh, this feels quite, quite all right there. But what I am nervous of is doing justice to the word of God. As a church, and me as an individual, we believe that the Bible is God breathed, inspired by God. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says exactly that, all scripture is God breathed. I also threw this, in, uh, this image in um, just to get a snapshot of how amazing the Bible is. There are three, there, start again, there are 63,779 cross-references. 
This is a book written by multiple authors over thousands of years. Some history, poetry, prophecy, letters, biographical. And I think it's just astonishing that all these links are there. Um, Jordan Peterson describes it as the first hyperlinked text. If you've ever been on Wikipedia, if you're wondering what a hyperlink is, it's, you can click here and it takes you everywhere. And just to consider that, how it was written by so many, I think to me that is just faith-affirming. That is the Holy Spirit just speaking and linking Scripture together. And Hebrews 4, verse 12 says, you know, the Word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than a two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our inmost thoughts and desires. It is our authority for life. And that's why I'm maybe a little bit nervous, because I don't want to distort this in any way. Why do I want you to know this? Well, one, it's the first time you've ever heard me speak, and you might be thinking, What's his angle? What gives him the authority to tell me about worship? Well, actually, I don't have the authority. The authority is found in the Word of God. And we're trying to unlock that tonight and over the next few weeks as we look at Celebrate. I tell you as well, because worship can be full of opinions, preferences, and there's many misconceptions about what worship actually is. And what I want to achieve tonight, argue from the scriptures, look and tr- try and get a grasp of, of what God's perspective is, what he intends it to be. Um, and this starts with the scriptures. So before we dig in, I'd just like to invite you uh, to pray And before we dig in. So dear Lord, Holy Spirit, just come. Your word is alive and powerful. I pray that you will help me today to speak truth to speak your word, even speak prophetically into this church, to to speak the heart of God tonight, Lord. I pray that anything I may say that may not be you will fall on deaf ears, but anything that is of you will resound in our hearts and make an everlasting difference, Lord. So Holy Spirit, I ask for your help tonight as we open up your word. So yeah, in preparing this message, God kept taking me a step back. I mean, I started... I guess it seems quite obvious with, let's do a series, a message on celebration. I mean, after all, as a church, we're unpacking creed at the moment. And uh, I was getting excited about this, but I thought, actually, celebrate's quite specific. I mean, when we think of worship, we include praise, thanksgiving, joy, and celebration. So maybe we need to take a step back first, and let's look at the journey of the temple. Let's maybe, maybe study the Greek and the Hebrew words for uh, worship and build a really good understanding of what, of what um, you know, the Old and New Testament means by worship so that we can you know, really know how and why we should be worshipping here. Um, then this triggered a question. I was wondering, if I was to go around the congregation tonight and ask you, why do we sing in church? I wonder what answers we'd get. So um, I'm not going to put anyone on the spot tonight, don't worry. But if you just think about that in your head, I don't know, maybe, maybe we'd get, I'd expect a range of answers from, actually, I, I don't know, I've, I've never really thought about it, to, well, I guess we've always done it, it's uh, tradition. Maybe, well, we enjoy it, we enjoy it, don't we? We enjoy a good sing-song. Uh, maybe the Bible tells us so. Maybe you have an la- answer or lack of flo- floating around in your head right now. Then I started, as I started to look at the scriptures and research this message, I felt God take me back even further, right back to basics, to one of the very foundations of our faith, and ask the question, what is worship? Before we even get to why do we sing, what is worship? As we saw in that scripture before, that uh, true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And we want our celebrations to be authentic, don't we? We want them to be true. 
Now, I'm, I'm not, not naturally photogenic like my lovely wife is, and most of the time in staged photos, um, my smile does not look remotely authentic, sort of uh, something like that. I don't know how to that. But they, if you catch a photo in the moment, it looks very natural. Why can't I do that on, on, on will? Don't get it. It's unfair. It's unfair. But if we want our celebrations, our worship, our praise and thanksgiving to be authentic, true, then we really need to know what God's intentions are to start with. I said foundation, and I really want us to get um, how important it is to God. Worship is a two-way thing between us and God. So if it's important to God, it should be important to us. Uh, I'm going to start with a new, uh, in the New Testament with a couple, of, a couple of verses Hope read to us before. When Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman at the well, he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in the spirit and in truth. We're not going to look at this particular verse in masses of depth tonight. We could do, we could unpack it enormously. But I wanted to simply take from it that the Father seeks worshippers. Okay, but what is a worshipper? Now we're starting to get... That comes into play. I think it's very common for us to pop worship into a drawer. I love a good visual demonstration. That draws worship. <laughs> um, Maybe call it celebrate. Yeah, should we call it celebrate? Um, it's something we do when we have time, when we remember to. Something we do on Sundays with, with lunch in the middle. Something we do in the car or morning quiet times when, when we remember. But the Bible would suggest something very different, and I aim tonight to decompartmentalize worship. Worship is not one of the many drawers. Worship is the cabinet that holds the drawers in place. We need to be a church that celebrates as we reach, that celebrates, it's your turn now, as we establish, <laughs> it celebrates as we and celebrates as we deploy. Very good, very good, very good. So yeah, if you'll come on with a journey with me to explore this, let's just have a slurp of Americano. Setting the challenge to Dan next week to uh, up that. Um, <laughs> See what he comes up with. Firstly, let's take a moment to unpack the most famous verse, well, one of the most famous verses in scriptures. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. If we break this down a little bit, sometimes with verses like that, they just sort of, I don't know, you've heard them so many times, but let's just break it down. It starts with the cause, God's love. For God so loved the world, he did something. What did he do? He gave his only son. But what did he achieve? Let's just say that verse again together. Can you, you know, let's, can you say it? For God. Eternal life, exactly. So that then begs the question, what does eternal life look like? What is this amazing, everlasting future that Jesus paid the ultimate price for? So let's get, let's, let's uh, 
dive into scripture. Let's use scripture to paint a picture of eternity. Um, well, more like a rough sketch. I mean, even Revelation is, 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 is just a vision of the reality. So it's going to be far more amazing than we even get to tonight. But we can look both backwards to the Garden of Eden. We can look forwards to what the scriptures tell us about eternal life in the world after this. So let's get our Walkmans ready, our iPods. We're going to do a bit of rewind. We're going to do a bit of fast forward. We're going to be on shuffle at some points. Um, a bit like that diagram before, we might be dancing all over, but I, I, you know, let's see what Scripture says. So what were God's original intentions? God will once again dwell amongst his people as he did in the Garden of Eden. But what did the Garden of Eden look like? Time to hit rewind. So Genesis 1.26, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish of the sea, the birds in the air the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. We are created in his image and likeness. No other part of creation is, is like this. Only man, woman, and God share this compatibility. That's his design, and how it was in the Garden of Eden before sin split a chasm between us. In Eden, they dwelt with God. They walked with him. There was intimacy with him and each other, naked and not ashamed. In Genesis 3.8, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden at the cool of day. Another picture of Jesus' relationship with the church is compared with the intimacy that Adam and Eve have, a husband and wife. And Ephesians, which is quoting from Genesis 2, Ephesians 5 says, a man and his father A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. This is a great mystery, but is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So just a couple of points to draw from from there, from looking back at God's intentions as to how it was. There's intimacy with God, fellowship with God, doing life and walking with God. Now we're going to hit fast forward and go to the scene in heaven. Um, in Revelation 4.1, um, he says at the end there, come up here and I will show you what will happen after this. The verses before are the seven letters to the church, which represents, which is set in the current age. So we know the passages we're going to look at after this uh, are about the, the age to come. Uh, In Revelation 4, again, from from 8 to uh, 11, each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Day after day, and night after night, they kept on saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever. They lay down their crowns before the throne and say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. They exist because you created what you please. Please In Revelation, a few times we come across these living beings or some translations, creatures, um, um, Those represent angelic beings. Uh, And then the 24 elders, scholars debate whether this is some specific people or whether it's actually um, 
more general than that. Um, but we know that they would be human. They have um, thrones, positions of powers, um, which indicates they're human and not angelic. Uh, we'll see them again in this next passage, Romans 5, 8 to 14. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings, there they are, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they had golden bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Then they sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it, for you were slaughtered, and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign the earth. I'll jump on a little bit. Um, it just ends as well there with the, the last bit. Uh, and the floor living being said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. In that passage, we have uh, angelic beings, we have the elders, and we have every creature worshipping. Basically, everything is worshipping God. This is the picture of, of the everlasting life that Jesus um, gave his life that we may have. I just want to point verse 10 out as well there. I think um, we are going to be a kingdom of priests. And what were priests in charge of? Worship. Um, I mean, to get a full picture of worship, we'd have to look at a lot of, of, of priests. We'd have to look at a lot of the Old Testament. But you see a little glimpse in sort of Numbers 18, um, which uh, says, But you and your sons, the priests, must personally handle all the priestly rituals associated with the altar and with everything behind the inner curtain. I am giving you the priesthood as your special privilege of service. We, as priests, are given the special privilege of worshipping God. I think we're starting to get a good idea of how we'll be spending our time in heaven, in eternity. Let's fly through a couple more references. I did ponder about just picking out one or two, but actually I'd, I'd, I want to get the message across here <laughs> about what we're doing in eternity to get the big picture. But uh, we'll pick up uh, uh, Revelation 11. We'll see again there. 24 elders sitting on their thrones before God. They fell with their faces to the ground and worshipped him. In Revelation 14, fear God and give glory to him for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Again, in uh, Revelation 15, we've uh, got uh, all people singing the song of Moses, the song of the Lamb. And if we scroll on down, it says, all nations will come and worship before you. I know as a worship leader at this point, uh, your head's going wild with all the songs you could have picked. And Hannah's probably, oh, I could have done that one, that one, that one. And I think it's great that we sing these lyrics that we are going to be, that will resound into all eternity um, in many of our songs. And then Revelation 19. After this, I heard what sounded like a vast crowd in heaven shouting, praise the Lord. And again, their voices rang out, praise the Lord. Then 24 elders and four living beings, fell down and worshipped God who was sitting on the throne. They cried out, Amen, praise the Lord. Then from the throne a voice that said, Praise our God. Then I heard again what sounded like a shout of vast crowd or a roar of mighty ocean waves or a crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honour to him. For the time has come for the wedding of the Feast of the Lamb. And his bride has prepared herself. Basically, eternity with God involves a lot of worship. These scriptures 
get me excited. In fact, there are very few things that actually do continue into all eternity. We will be dwelling with God himself, so there will be no more need for any sermons. Some of you are probably thinking, amen, praise the Lord to that. We will no longer observe the sacraments of communion or baptism. In 1 Corinthians, uh, well, it's a um, famous verse when we do communion. It says, ends with, until he comes again. When it comes to baptism, the Great Commission makes that very clear, that that is a commission for this age, but will not be for the next. Not even the heaven or the earths will exist into eternity when we look forward to a time when there's no more pain or sorrow. Revelation 21, what a great passage. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Isn't that amazing? We even get new bodies. I mean, I'm looking forward to a resurrected hairline. In Philippians 3, it says, we will take our weak and, um, He will take our weak and mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own. When I was studying all this, it was one of those hit-you-in-the-face kind of moments. I realized just to a new level how important worship is to God. So important that worship and prayer, which is fundamental part of, of our worship will carry on for all eternity when almost everything else will be gone or made new. It's so important that God gave his only son so we could spend eternity once again dwelling with God, worshipping him. It is our purpose. In fact, we read in Revelation 5 that all of creation will be worshipping in heaven. Something else, though, that is truly amazing, actually, is that we don't have to wait till we depart from this world to get a taste of eternity. We can experience it here on earth through the blood of Jesus. The curtain that kept us from accessing the Holy of Holies, God's dwelling place, the presence of God, was torn from top to bottom. Wow. In Hebrews 10, it says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. This is what I was thinking about doing a series on the temple so we can learn about the significance of that journey into the most holy place and really appreciate even more what an amazing thing this is. Um, if you'll have me back maybe one day. I want to quickly look at, at David. So we've, we've, we've looked back at the Garden of Eden, how it was. We've looked forward to um, the, the next age to come. Now, I'm not going to go too much into David because Dan Feeney will be expanding on that next week. But uh, um, one thing I think amazing about David, I mean, God described him in, in Acts 13, 22, uh, which is quoting, referencing Samuel 13. It says, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So yeah, I'm not going to steal Dan's thunder, but a few teasers for next week. David was a man after God's own heart. Why? What does this mean? How do we become, at Fullwood, a people after God's 
own heart. Well, I'm looking forward to what Dan will unpack. It will be a missable. Maybe if baby arrives, I will miss it. But there's always the podcasts for that. So, uh, yeah, no excuses, eh? But David was obedient. He was a worshipper. In 1 Chronicles 16, when the ark was brought into the tabernacle, the the high point, the crescendo of, um, of the tabernacle being built, we get a glimpse into the character of David, this man after God's own heart. I'm not going to steal everything Dan has to say, but a few lines I picked out of Dave, a song David sings uh, to capture some of what this heart might be. A few lines, give thanks to the Lord, sing to him, yes, sing his praises, exalt his holy name, rejoice you who worship the Lord, let the whole earth sing to the Lord, worship the Lord in all of his holy splendor, let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Praise the Lord, the God of Israel. And all the people shouted, Amen, and praise the Lord. Yes, he had some serious blips at the start of his kingship, but David learned what it meant to be a worshipper, obedient to God. But God himself would describe him as a man after his own heart. Again, very quickly, we could look at the life of Jesus. Obviously, the example of perfect intimacy with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. If you search Jesus Pray in Bible Gateway, like I did, you will find 17 references in the Gospels. Uh, For example, when he was baptized, the transfiguration, before he chose the apostles, Gethsemane, there's a a few. But in Luke 5, uh, 15 to 16, this one jumped out at me in particular. Yet the news about him spread all the more. So that the crowds came to hear him to be healed of their illness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Jesus actually prioritizes intimacy with the Father over healing people. I thought that was woof. So, very quick recap slurp of coffee. Delicious. You can have your coffee after, don't worry, don't worry. God seeks worshippers, authentic worshippers. What God desires is worship, intimacy, fellowship with his people, you and me. Worship is the highest calling of the church and the individual. Jesus puts his intimacy with the Father top of the tree. Celebrate is deliberately the first letter in our vision. It's intentional. Worship is as fundamental to our faith as the cross. It's the end result of John 3.16. It's all there together. Well, you might be thinking, well, great, shut up. Let's get singing. (laughs) But if you are, you're still missing the point. The message is worship is everything. The fact you are here in church is worship. The conversations you have after over coffee should be worship. Your whole life should become a song of worship. Worship is our purpose. Let's pause for a moment because this is actually huge. This could be a worldview shift for you, a challenge to how you thought, viewed the world, existence, your purpose. According to Google, a worldview is a particular philosophy of life or conception of the world. Put it as simply as it gets, it's how we view the world. Again, Professor Jordan Peterson at the Oxford Union, his speech, he said, the world is given to us in our perceptions. We confuse the world 
with the, um, we confuse the world we perceive with the real world. We have to because we're stuck with our limited and ignorant perceptions. There's no significance with that being in a drawer. It's just a handy place to store it. But this ball, if I bounce it, it takes about one second. Would you say that has returned to roughly the same place it was before? Okay. If you were on Mars, do you think that has returned to the same place it was before? No. It's actually, in about one second, we've travelled around 18 miles around the sun. The point is, perspectives. Very different. Very different. And it's very easy to absorb the perspectives that we spend most of our lives exposed to. But the famous paraphrase of John 17, 14 to 16, questions this. To be in the world, but not of the world. We should challenge the worldview sold to us, the perceptions fed to us, because it's so different to what God intended. What is your perception of the world? Has it been distorted? Are you confusing it with the real world? Well, the Bible is the real world. The Bible is a bit like looking from Mars and where they're bouncing the ball on Earth. It's not our perception, but God's intentions. In the West, well, actually, probably all around the world, our education, our media, culture, books, politics, often our peers and our family as well, tell us the purpose of life is to work hard, get a good job, procreate, doing well on that one, buy a big house and a nice car, retire, play golf, try and be happy. When you reach the end, well, that's it. To get a snapshot of society, we can look at lyrics and poetry of the time. John Lennon said, I think music reflects the state of society it's in. I agree with that. I studied music and um, you know, I remember studying Shostakovich, a Russian composer in Soviet USA. And you look at the historical context of when he composed the music because it reflects what's going on. That being the case, I'm going to read some lyrics, censored, I should add, from a very popular song by the PF Project, featuring the actor Ewan McGregor, immortalised by the film Trainspotting, and it was in the UK top 40 for nine weeks back in 1996. Choose life, choose a job, choose a career, choose a family, choose a big television, choose washing machines, cars, compact displays, and electrical tin openers. Choose good health, low cholesterol, and dental insurance. Choose fixed interest mortgage repayments. Burial's probably better at the moment with the uh, current state of the economy, but anyway. Choose a starter home. Choose your friends. Choose leisure wear and matching luggage. Choose a three-piece suit on higher purchase in a range of fabrics. I think almost everything's on finance these days. Choose DIY and wondering who you are on Sunday morning. Choose sitting on that couch watching mind-numbing, spirit-crushing game shows, stuffing junk food into your mouth. Choose rotting away at the end of it all, spending your last in a miserable home, nothing more than embarrassment to the selfish brats you have spawned to replace yourself. It's pretty brutal, this song. <laughs> choose your future. Choose life. But why would I want to do a thing like that? I choose not to choose life. I choose something else. I, I give this worldview the nickname the Hollywood worldview because it's sold to us in pretty much every movie and series we, we consume. And you know what? The devil wants you to buy it. We see in the scriptures that Satan is jealous of God's worship, trying to distort God's plan for creation, God's ideas, God's perspective, the biblical worldview. He even tempts Jesus 
to kneel down and worship him. In Matthew 4, 8 to 10, it says, Next the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he says, if you will kneel down and worship me. Of course, Jesus says, get out of here, Satan, for the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And just like Adam and Eve and the fall of man, Satan is still trying to steal our attention to this day. In 1 Peter 8, 5.8, it says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour And look around, the world has bought the lie. Dare I say, many Christians have bought the lie. How much of the church has bought it too? But this is not our purpose. Our purpose is to worship God. We also read before one of my... Just about to read one of my most famous, uh, favorite verses in the Bible. It's profound, life-changing Alive and powerful, as we read in Hebrews. This is Romans 12, 1 to 2. Again, let's hear it again. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Reminds me of David knowing God's will, being obedient. I think it's safe to say from the huge number of scriptures we've sampled tonight, and there are more we've not even ventured into the Psalms, that worship is the highest calling of the church and the individual. Worship is our purpose. As I said, this is why Creed starts with celebrate. It's such a massive challenge. I am challenged. I think everyone, each of us here, will be challenged for all our time on this earth. It's a challenge for the whole global church, for the local church, here in Fullwood, and for every individual. Is worship your purpose 24-7? I feel that's... Such a big question, I could actually stop the message here. You probably might be thinking, please do. No. I just want to expand on one more thing, if that's all right. Just to help, I think, will help make it more applicable. What do we mean when we actually say worship? I want to point it out here that we often have a very narrow view of worship. Some people even struggle with the idea that they might be spending all eternity singing. Yes, singing is a huge part of our worship, and the more we experience Jesus, the more a new song will well up within our souls. But Paul, in that last passage, clearly defines worship as much broader than songs. It's about the way you think, knowing God's will. It's about a life of sacrifice to him, copying not the behaviors and customs of this world, but of Jesus. Worship is everything. I've had a mental image of some of you at work tomorrow just breaking into song or in a Zoom call just spontaneously erupting into amazing grace, much to the surprise of your work colleagues. That is not what we're getting at here. So let's just expand our view of worship a bit more. The English word we use for worship originates from an old English word that I'm not going to attempt to pronounce because if I'm being honest, my Anglo-Saxon accent isn't very good. It means the condition of being worthy 
The old English word, yeah, means significant, valuable, of value, appreciated. Skype, the second half, uh, which means a sense of reverence paid to a supernatural or divine being. Now, I've been involved in a few, you know, experience with a few startup businesses. Um, and there's always one question you get to, which is, how much should I charge? Well, the answer is, you charge what someone will pay. What someone thinks your product or service is worth. What value they ascribe to it. So my question is, what value do you ascribe to Jesus? Do we show our things, but we love them more than we show Jesus? I know I do sometimes. What do we value with our time, with our money, with our talents? Is it Jesus? When you're on that Zoom call, how do you value Jesus? Add worth to his name. This is a worship lifestyle. Are you living a holy, are you a living and holy sacrifice? Just to quickly pick up that list, a list from the song, Choose Life. What is Jesus worth in your life? What is Jesus worth in your job and career? What is he worth in, with your family, the children, the things you buy, the home you live in, the friends you choose, the clothes you wear? What is he worth in the thoughts you meditate on? How you spend time? I love that, that phrase, spend time. Time is a currency like money. It's a finite resource. How do you value Jesus? What's he worth in your retirement, in your future? When it comes to the application of this, I don't have a list of if this happens, do this. It is a mindset we need to get into. A mindset for all of life. I love how when we start to get this mindset fixed, things start to come into focus. A couple of quick examples. Some of the, the scriptures that seem to almost be at odds with each other just make sense. For example, the Bible celebrates being single. It also celebrates being married. Okay, well, should I be single or should I be married? That's not the point. The point is if God calls you to a life of being single or God calls you to a life of being married, value him, value God. I think uh, it's interesting that the poor widow who gave um, everything she had at the temple, and then you compare that with Joseph of Arimathea, who's described in Matthew as a wealthy man. He paid for the tomb that Jesus was buried in. One was poor, one was wealthy, but they both valued Jesus with what they did. That was worship. Maybe there's some modern examples. Maybe you know, we're about to be parents. Maybe think, should I be a stay-at-home mum or dad? Or, or should, I, should I work? Well, that's not quite the question you should be asking. The question you should be asking is, how do I value Jesus? What do I do with my retirement? Should I do some voluntary work? Should I play golf? Should I spend more time with the family? Wrong question. How can I value Jesus? Where is your heart in Matthew 6, very famous, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Where is our heart? Wouldn't it be amazing if Fullwood became known as not a place, but a people of worship? 
Sure, we can, we can generate emotion on a Sunday, bright lights, bring in the big drums, thanks John, we're excited and praise God and then those lovely purpley lights come on and some moody pads from Andy and we all feel intimate, and, but those are just tools. Emotion can't alone generate true authentic worship, but worship will certainly generate emotion. Music can augment our worship, but true worshippers, the kind that God seeks, are living sacrifices. They worship in spirit and in truth 24-7. You know, I'm always longing for that festival feeling. I was I've sort of called it every Sunday where you really encounter the presence of God. Maybe you've had moments like that in your life. If we want to become a people who really celebrate God, that starts tomorrow, Monday, every day of the week. If we want to authentically celebrate as a church, we need to live a lifestyle of worship, valuing God in everything we do. If I'm, if I'm honest, I'm buzzing about Creed. I'm really excited what God has for us here at Fullwood Free in our future, but it's going to take a people of worship to make that happen. We as a church together could achieve so much for the kingdom of God, locally, nationally, even globally. Um, it was wonderful. Nikki this morning shared that verse about God doing immeasurably more from Ephesians 3.20 than we can ask or imagine. But what's the rest of the verse? According to his power at work in us. That verse is not saying let's sit back and let God do all the work. It's saying God will do far more than we can ask imagine through us, his church. I compared creed to chest of drawers before. I like this metaphor. We all have drawers of some sort in our house. So, if there's one thing that sticks with you tonight, it's the only thing you remember. I hope that every time you open or close a drawer, you will be reminded to live a lifestyle of worship, to ask that question, do I value Jesus? To ask the question, how can I value Jesus more? I have a challenge for us. Every day this week, next, every question you find yourself pondering, ask yourself, how can I value Jesus more than I currently do? Every time you open or close a drawer, just remind yourself of this call to worship. I believe we have a testimony evening coming up in a few weeks. If we really do this, commit to a lifestyle of worship, I'm very excited to hear the results. It might be a big ask, but remember we have the Holy Spirit. As it's said in Romans, let God transform you as a person, by changing the way you think. Submit to him. I'd like to ask the band up if that's all right. In response to this, as we start this adventure with Creed, I believe as a church, we need to make sure worship is really at the center, the frame that holds the drawers in place. So... We're going to take communion later, and I would love that to be a corporate response of saying, yes, we want to live a lifestyle of worship. As I said, this is a challenge for all of us for all of our lives on this earth. As we take the wine, let us repent of times when we have not valued Jesus. As we take the bread, let us commit to valuing him more in the future. In preparing this, I was thinking about some of the 
um, stones that uh, the monument stones that they use in scripture and the Ebenezer stone particularly uh, piqued my interest Israel had been worshipping idols and false gods and disobeying they lost the ark of the covenant the Philistines took it the presence of the Lord departed but they repented they came back they won the battle. They were victorious. The ark came back. The presence of the Lord returned. And Samuel built this monument to say, this is what happened before, and this is where we're going in the future. So let's, as we take communion, let's, if we can, if that's all right, church, just, yeah, commit to moving forward in a lifestyle of worship. I think there's a few people here as well that need their perspective shifting maybe. They know they've been choosing the wrong life. We often think, we referenced the prodigal son this morning of wild drunken gambling and debauchery, but it can be far more subtle than that. In fact, this Satan is very subtle often. Maybe it's that Sunday is, is lip service, but in the week it's survival of the fittest in the workplace. You're not valuing Jesus. I love, there's one story of, uh, of um, an airline uh, um, hostess or whatever you call them. Um, and she was wearing a cross. She got fired from a job. Now you might think, some people might think, that's ridiculous, why didn't she just hide it or take it off? But I love that she valued Jesus. And to her, prizing that cross over her job was valuing Jesus Maybe tonight you know that you need a bit of a perspective shift. I also think there's people here that may be struggling with the whole idea of purpose. They don't know what their purpose in life is. Wandering in the wilderness like the Israelites. We've all probably been there at some point. Well, God wants to let you know that your purpose is to worship him. So... We're going to take communion in a bit. I'm going to ask Ian to come and do that. But before we do that, I just want to do something we don't do very often. Would you like to stand? We're just going to wait. We're going to wait. We believe that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's that power that can transform our minds. And by waiting, what we're doing, we're just going to say, God, this is your time. This is your time. This isn't time for music or speech this is your time so i'm just simply going to pray come holy spirit and let's just take a moment to give him our hearts yeah come holy spirit come holy spirit I